Hello. Welcome to the Myths and History of Greece and Rome, Chapter 142, Back in the West, Part 3. It's now time to have our third and last look at what was going on in the Western lands that used to be part of the Roman Empire. We will have a very brief look at what's been happening with the new powers in the region from 1100 to 1400, focusing on France, England, Spain, the Holy Roman Empire and Italy. Let's take France first. The French Kingdom was formally established in 987 when Hugh Capet, formerly Duke of the Franks, was elected king. His actual lands didn't extend much beyond Paris, and many of his vassals, subordinate dukes, had much more land than he did. But Hugh was their king, and the Kingdom of France was a real thing. The kingdom grew in strength during the 48-year reign of Philip I, and it was during his reign that the First Crusade, so expertly handled by Alexius Comnenus, took place. The next king, Louis VI, Philip's eldest son, further improved the situation. Now Louis is one of those French kings with a funny nickname. He is known as Louis the Fat. He spent a lot of his reign fighting the English over possession of Normandy. Louis VII, who like his grandfather Philip reigned for more than 40 years, increased the authority of the monarchy, such that the vassals paid homage to him. Louis married Eleanor of Aquitaine, of whom we shall hear more soon. In doing this, Louis became the Duke of Aquitaine, giving him personal control over a lot more land than his predecessors. Philip II, Louis's son, also held the throne for more than 40 years. He went off crusading with Richard I of England on the Third Crusade, the one which caused bother for Manuel Comnenus. War against England was a continuous on-and-off event during his reign, and he managed to seize control of Normandy and Anjou. Yet another 40-plus year reign followed that of Louis IX, who was later made a saint. He improved the legal system, making it fairer. Under his rule, the English were defeated when they tried to reclaim Normandy. Louis died while taking part in the horribly unsuccessful Eighth Crusade, and his son Philip III, or Philip the Bold, took over. He also died crusading, and the crown went to Philip IV, or Philip the Fair. His power over France was concrete. He was so mighty that he was able to name popes and emperors. All of the popes were of course French, and he even moved the papacy, the centre of the Catholic Church, to the town of Avignon in France. After Philip's death in 1314, France suffered a series of unfortunate events, including the Black Death and the worst of the Hundred Years' War. The monarchy suffered in the early 1300s with a series of very short, chaotic reigns. In 1368, though, a man came to the throne who had reigned for 56 years. His name was Charles VI, also known as Charles the Mad. We will meet him in the next chapter, as it was he who ruled France when John V Paleologus, Emperor of the Romans, died, and his son began his vain attempt to save the dwindling empire. England went from strength to strength after the Norman Conquest. Henry I, youngest son of William the Conqueror, was known as Henry Beauclerc, which roughly translated means Henry the Learned. He was educated and clever. He stabilised the growing kingdom and tried to integrate the Norman and Saxon people. His 35-year reign of stability came to an abrupt end, though, when he died, as he had no surviving son. He had forced the barons to take an oath to accept a woman as the next monarch, his daughter Matilda. When he died, though, the barons raised Henry's nephew, Stephen of Blois, to the throne. This resulted in civil war until an agreement was reached. Stephen would remain king until he died, but Matilda's son Henry would be his heir. Henry II proved to be a great king. As Duke of Anjou, he brought more lands, lands in France, under the control of the English king. 
He also expanded into Scotland and Ireland and took power away from the church and the barons and put it in the hands of the monarchy. He further increased England's possessions in France, taking Brittany and other territories. The most famous event of Henry's reign was the murder of the Archbishop of Canterbury, Thomas Becket, at Canterbury Cathedral in 1170. The story is well known. Henry, a little perturbed that the Archbishop appeared to think that God was his master, not the king, and was not towing the line. In a fit of frustration, Henry is said to have uttered the words, Will no one rid me of this turbulent priest? A few knights decided they would happily do this, and cut him down mercilessly. Henry did penance for the death, including wearing a hair shirt. This was not at all what he had intended. Most of the troubles during his reign were caused by various squabbles with his own family. Henry married Eleanor of Aquitaine, who had had her marriage with Louis VII annulled. Later in Henry's reign, they had four surviving sons, Henry the Young King, Richard, Geoffrey and John. All of them rebelled against their father at some point, and young Henry was killed in the fighting. Geoffrey also died before his father. Henry II was succeeded by his eldest surviving son, Richard, who spent less than a year in his new kingdom during his 11-year reign. Richard is known as Richard the Lionheart for his prowess in battle, but it has to be said he was a pretty bad ruler given that he left the kingdom in the hands of his younger brother John and didn't do any actual governing himself. When he died, childless, in 1189, John was crowned king. King John is famous for being a terrible king, always in dispute with his barons. He wasn't as bad as history portrays him, some of his legal reforms had long-term beneficial effects on the judicial system. He did, though, have quite an unpleasant personality and was not well liked. The troubles with the barons led him to having to sign the humiliating document we now know as Magna Carta, which documented the rights of the barons, the church and free men. The document was actually annulled by the Pope, and neither side stood by their agreement. This led to the First Barons' War, soon after which John died of dysentery. The charter was reissued during the early reign of John's son, Henry III, and again by Edward I. Henry III was only nine when he came to the throne. His whole reign was a series of civil wars, including the Second Barons' War. One of these rebellions resulted in the first Parliament of sorts being set up in England under Simon de Montfort. Henry reigned, though, for 56 years. Henry's son Edward was made of very different stuff. His 50-year reign saw the introduction of the first official Parliament and the King reconquered Wales. He had a bad temper and could be very intimidating and was described as frightening. He came to be known as Hammer of the Scots after defeating the Norman Kingdom and stealing the Scottish coronation stone, taking it to London. Edward was fascinated by the stories of King Arthur and his reign ushered in the age of chivalry, jousting, tournaments, honour and all that. Edward's son, Edward II, was a weak man who was deposed in a plot orchestrated by his own wife. He was succeeded by his son, Edward III. His reign saw England emerge as the most powerful military regime in Europe. He declared himself to be the rightful King of France, leading to the Hundred Years' War, which went very well for England in its early years. He also started a conflict with Spain, which lasted on and off for 200 years. His successful time on the throne was marred by something entirely out of his control. The Black Death, an outbreak of bubonic plague, wiped out a third of the population of his kingdom. Edward's eldest son, Edward the Black Prince, was the very picture of the chivalrous, brave, noble and fierce knight. He was the heir, 
but the prince died in 1376, a year before his father. His ten-year-old son Richard came to the throne. Richard's rule was turbulent and, including the peasant, and included the Peasants' Revolt, which was put down with force and resulted in a large number of executions. He disinherited his cousin Henry Bolingbroke, leading to Henry invading and taking the crown in 1399. It's interesting to note that the seeds of the subsequent Wars of the Roses were sown at this time. Bolingbroke was son of John of Gaunt, 2nd Duke of Lancaster. John's younger brother was Edmund Langley, 1st Duke of York. Richard II had preferred Edmund as his successor, but as we know, it was John's son who took the throne. Their various descendants would start fighting over this, and the wars only ended with the Battle of Bosworth in 1485. But that's not for us. When Manuel became Basileus, Richard II was on the throne, but it is Henry IV who will play a small part in Manuel's story. The history of the Holy Roman Empire is a story all of its own. Its most famous ruler during the time between 1100 and 1400 was Frederick Barbarossa. He raised the empire to strength, and it eventually became made up of four kingdoms, the kingdoms of Italy, Germany, Bohemia and Burgundy, and occupied most of the lands of Central Europe, including what we now know as Germany, Austria, Switzerland, Belgium, the Netherlands, Northern Italy, Eastern France, parts of the Czech Republic and Hungary, and the islands of Corsica, Sardinia and Sicily. The empire reached the height of its powers during the reign of Henry VI, Frederick's son. He even imprisoned the English king, Richard I, and demanded a ransom. After Henry's term as emperor, the empire slowly began to disintegrate as the power of the kings of the various kingdoms grew and the power of the emperor declined. When Manuel acceded to the throne of his empire, there was no official Holy Roman Emperor. Spain, in the 12th century, was mostly a battlefield between Muslims and Christians. The Christians began to get the upper hand, and by 1400 the war had mainly been won. Just one independent Muslim state remained, and this was a vassal of the Kingdom of Castile. Christian Spain, though, was not the one country we know it as today. It was a patchwork of smaller kingdoms, some vassals to others. The event which took place to sow the seeds of the creation of the Kingdom of Spain didn't happen until the late 1400s, when Ferdinand of Aragon and Isabella of Castile married and united two of the most powerful kingdoms. Italy was much the same as Spain, in that it was made up of a lot of separate states, most of them centred on cities. The northern part of Italy and its large islands were usually under the control of other powers, such as the Holy Roman Empire. The last Byzantine territories on the peninsula were lost in 1158. The city-states grew and prospered through trade rather than military might. We have encountered a couple of the most powerful ones before. Venice and Genoa both had important trading col colonies in Constantinople and significant influence over the success or failure of the Byzantine Empire. Despite the fact that trading was the source of wealth, the city-states were at almost constant war with each other and many were taken over by their rivals. Part of modern Italy is of course the city of Rome. During the Middle Ages, Rome was ruled by the Pope and the city commune, not by a king, duke or lord. That said, the Holy Roman Empire thought it had a say in what went on in the Catholic Church and took to overthrowing popes and putting their own candidates in place. Other Christian powers got involved with the affairs of the papacy, particularly France. In the late 1300s, the Catholic Church fell prey to what is known as the Western Schism. Between the years of 1378 and 1417, there were often two and sometimes three rival popes. 
the main rival to the Pope in Rome was based in Avignon. The various rulers of the European kingdoms chose which one they would recognise. When Manuel came to the throne in Constantinople, the Catholic Church was in disarray. So, this was the state of Western Europe in the late 1300s. Manuel Comnenus would need the help of some of these powerful states in order to save his dying empire. The question was, would he get it? And next time, we'll find out whether or not he would. If you like the podcast, then please go to www.mythandhistory.co.uk. There you will find a number of features, including a blog and figure of the week. This podcast is and always will remain free. However, on the website there are buttons for you to make donations. Anyone who donates $10 or more, or the equivalent in their own currency, will get a copy of all three of my ebooks: The Myths of Ancient Greece, The History of Ancient Greece, and The Legends of King Arthur and His Knights. They will be sent in .pdf format. Also, I'd be really grateful if you could possibly pop onto iTunes and give the podcast a review. I have a five-star review average. I'd like to keep this up, and I know it helps with marketing the podcast to more listeners. So, please do this. Have a great couple of weeks, and I'll speak to you next time.